The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out, the Inner Revolution with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic blending spirituality and activism, the message and journey of James O'Dee, renowned conscious activist. As children, many of us felt called to do something to help our world. Some became dedicated activists, but many of us became discouraged or burnt out from the anguish and the anger of the movement itself. Then some of us found a new way. One such person is James O'Dee, former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, the Washington office director of Amnesty International, author, philosopher, and international peace worker. James is joining host Beth Green to talk about his latest book, The Conscious Activist, where he describes his own journey from mysticism to outrage to a mature blending of his spirituality and his commitment to help. James is calling us to work on ourselves and face the suffering of the world and to learn to act from the insight gained from the depths of compassion. The inner revolution is the movement of people to change the world from the inside out. Meet James O'Dee, who is doing just that, and lighting the way for others to do the same. Feel free to call in with your question or comment. And now, here is Beth from the inside out. Well, the first thing we have to resolve is there's James and then there's James. So if I say James, which James do I mean? So I'm going to do something, James, my James, which is call you Jamesy just for today. Okay. And I have a strong feeling that James O.D. is not going to think that when I say Jamesy that I'm referring to him. <laughs> okay. So before uh, we introduce our guest, uh, two things. One, I want to tell you that as I was reading his book, I said, oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. <laughs> so I really identified so much with uh, the process that he went through. Not always every conclusion that he came to, but, but the essence of it and the process of it, I thought, oh, my God. So that's something I'd like to share with you. So that's one of the reasons I'm so pleased to have him with us today. But first, we're going to do our usual routine. Uh, well, first, let, let me remind you guys uh, what the Inner Revolution is about. The Inner Revolution is about three commitments that we commit to oneness to actually living from a place of recognizing that we are one and we can't hurt anybody without hurting ourselves. The second one is accountability. I mean, let's get real about what we've done and let's look at the impact of what we do on one another and let's make amends when we've messed each other up. And the third commitment is to mutual support, which is to always ask for divine guidance to discover what is for the highest good of all. And that highest good of all includes us. And the other part, of course, of the inner revolution is the three habits, which are courage. No matter what, we got to stand up and do the right thing. Self-awareness means, oh, I have to look at myself. It's not all them. And healing, healing, healing. Doing a lot of therapeutic work because we can't be the people we want to be if we're being dominated by fear-based uh, you know, egoic reactions. And underneath all of that, of course, 
come support. So what we're trying to do here on Inside Out in the Inner Revolution is to explore all these aspects, but also to increase our support, Uh, us supporting our callers, our callers supporting us, us and our guests supporting one another, because there's lots to do and no time to waste. So now the news today advances in the inner revolution. I'm going to try to keep this short because we have an exciting guest and I don't want him to die while he's on hold. But there are so many incredible things happening. When we talk about advances in the inner revolution, we mean we go through the news and James does this. This is his job. I mean, James E. does this. Uh, You know, we find articles that are showing that there's really change taking place on the planet. For example... This is amazing. Writing past wrong. South Carolina's evolution of conscience. This was from the Christian Science Monitor that as early as the 2000s, which is yesterday in my book, South Carolina fought hard to keep the Confederate flag flying on the Capitol grounds. And now, of course, to many, that flag was a symbol of racism. Well, recently, the state of South Carolina took accountability for and rectified the conviction of nine men who was sentenced to hard labor on a chain gang in 1961 for trying to order lunch at a downtown diner. Now, what's amazing about this is that the prosecutor offered a heartfelt apology saying the original charges were based on values and beliefs that have since been deemed to violate the fundamental guarantees of the United States Constitution. Well, not to speak of fundamental human rights, right? (laughs) But anyway, what's What's incredible about this, uh, one of the Friendship Nine, who is one of these guys who went to, who was sentenced to hard labor, he said, I think it is a testament to how the world has changed and how hearts have changed. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's not just in South Africa where there were these uh, reconciliations. I mean, it's beginning to happen here, and that is really exciting. The next thing, okay, you're going to laugh. You're going to say, what? But this is about one of our inner revolutionaries in our audience sent this to me this morning. Chinese armpit hair competition triggers online debate. And the question is, should I shave my armpit hair? Okay, now, (laughs) this is a question that often bothers a woman whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But she's a prominent women's rights activist in China. And girls are anxious about their armpit hair as if it's a sign of being dirty or uncivilized. So she wanted women to take ownership of their bodies. So she launched an armpit hair competition. And what was amazing is thousands of women participated about showing their armpit, and evidently Confucius said our bodies, hair, and skin were given to us by our parents and should not be harmed. But why this is, okay, so you're saying, what does this have to do with the inner revolution? Well, everything, because people have gotten into this modality, uh, probably through Western influence, that women have to shave their armpits. Now, why? I mean, I, my mother tried to shave my armpit when I was 13. I said, that's it. This will never happen again. That was in the Stone Age, by the way. But I think it's exciting that people are beginning to question all these ridiculous things that we do to ourselves that hurt ourselves and one another. Now, another astonishing piece of news, and I don't know how much this means, but James O.D. might know way more about this. A group of Afghan women has held unprecedented talks with the Taliban in the Norwegian capital of Oslo. This is in the BBC News on Saturday, June 6th. And the women say they focused on the need to protect their rights and enter any future power-sharing deal. One delegate described the talks as historic. 
Now, this is amazing. This is the Taliban and women talking about how women's rights are going to be protected in the future. This is, you know, astronomically changed. Now, how much of a difference this makes in terms of who the Taliban is and what they're really thinking, I don't know. But the, just the very fact that this happened and these women so courageous. In fact, you know, I mentioned to you last time that one woman, uh, Dr. S- uh, Sakina Yakobi, uh, who started 80 underground schools under the Taliban in Afghanistan, is going to be our guest in August. So um, I- I'm sure she's going to have, oh, she may have a lot to say about this. Now, the final thing uh, that I'd like to talk about, not that there weren't lots of other exciting things, is that we're beginning to think critically, see? We're looking realistically at what we're doing. We're not just doing things the old way. And the LA Times on June 6th said, looking to end time in the box for youthful offenders. That means that kids are being thrown into solitary confinement. Now, what for? This is supposed to be rehabilitative? They're going to come out better after being in solitary confinement. You know, this is about punishment rather than consciousness. We are, and what's exciting is that more and more people throughout the nation, 19 states in recent years and the District of Columbia have ended the practice of punishing detainees younger than 18 by isolating them. One One city, New York, went one step further and banned solitary confinement for Rikers Island inmates up to age 21. Well, I don't know if solitary confinement is good for anybody, although obviously Nelson Mandela managed. But we're really taking a look at the whole criminal justice system. We're looking at healing people instead of punishing them. And don't you think that's about time? So... I know that you are going to love to listen to uh, James O'D because he has so much insight into what has been going on in the world over these years. Being as the uh, director of the Washington Office of Amnesty International, it's just astounding what he had to see and experience, plus his own life. His book, The Conscious Act, Conscious Activism, Conscious Activist. I, I have no memory anyway. Um, I think it's Conscious Activist. In his book, he talks about his own journey and his own spirituality and mysticism as a child and then his really tuning into the world's pain and his outrage. And Oh, my God, I so identified with that. I became an activist when I was nine years old and before that I was a mystic. And the how can you bring together and then that continued until my mid-30s when I had a spiritual awakening. And I went back to spirituality, but have always tried to bring together what I call the spiritual activism of we need to act in the world because we are one. There is no personal salvation. God, that inner voice that guides me, I, I have not been taught so much by other people as I have by this inner voice. And that inner voice said there's no personal salvation. We have to work for the good of the whole for any of us to be well. And that feeling is I can't sit there and meditate for the next hundred years and think I'm doing anything. It's not that I shouldn't meditate, but that we need both. We need to heal ourselves and our world because we are one. There is no way to separate them. And this man has just run the gamut of so many painful experiences. And the miracle is that he still has hope and he still keeps his eye on the prize, which is the vision of where we're going. 
And uh, I think some of you will have questions. This time I'm going to let you ask questions. <laughs> last, my last guest, I didn't even call for any questions. But a little later in the show, we will ask people to call in. But in the meantime, I am so happy to introduce you to our guest, James O.D. Hi, James. Hello, yes, Beth. Very good to be with you, and, and you too, James. Thank you. Well, well, so the question, first of all, could you define for our audience that has not read your book, and I'm not going to try to do this, what you mean by a conscious activist? Yes, I think conscious activism, and there are many terms people are using, spiritual activism, visionary activism, and so forth. But it's really that balancing of doing the inner work and the outer work. As the Dalai Lama says, it is not enough to be compassionate. One must act. And it's in the acting that one gets feedback from the universe. And one gets information on what one needs to do in terms of one's own consciousness. We live at this very exciting time when consciousness itself is rising. And the more it rises, the more we can act in truly non-polarizing ways, in ways where the stream of action flows deep from the heart and the spirit and unites with what wants to be, truly what wants to be on the planet. So it's a very different form of action because it says, I must be the, the mirror of my action. I must be the truth behind the truth. And what so often happens, particularly as we're beginning as activists, is we see the moral imperative that calls to us, the moral imperative that says, you know, change the system, help the poor, you know, end the injustice. And But what happens is we can get a little on a high horse. A little? Uh, did you oh, say yeah. a little? <laughs> and we feel somewhat self-righteous and finger-pointing. Somewhat? And that disconnects us, of course, in the field of action from the kind of flow that I'm talking about that's involved in conscious activism, where the inner flow is really uniting rather than dividing. You know, this was such a sickness, uh, James. I know you were, of course, you were born in Ireland, and uh, you had, you know, you grew up in Europe, and and then you had these many international experiences, which uh, you can, uh, you know, certainly uh, tap into and share with us. But I was back here in the U.S. Uh, during the, uh, I'm 70, so you know what the span is from McCarthyism to today. <laughs> and... Um, what what I found is that when the 60s rolled around and people more people started getting activated, th- there were a lot of people who were active before that in the civil rights movement. I mean, there were always incredible people who were standing up for something uh, very important. And there was the whole, that whole nonviolent movement in the U.S. and the South. But when it started taking off with the anti-war movement, and I was involved, you know, in all of those, in pretty much all of the things that I could, um, there was so much dissension within the left itself. I mean, it's not only that we were polarizing from them, you know, whoever them was, whatever we were theming about, but we were polarized from each other. 
I mean, we couldn't get a meeting together <laughs> to talk about anything meaningful in those days. And, you know, some people glorify the 60s and say, well, those were the good old days of activism. But I think, I think back and it was a nightmare. Half the people were stoned when they got to the meeting. And <laughs> uh, there was so much dissension in the movement. I can't march with so-and-so because he's in the Communist Party. And I can't do this. And, um, and as it went on, people, and it became more and more polarized and more and more violent, it kind of imploded because it didn't stand for anything. It just stood against something. And I think about the, the voice that you have today, what you're saying, is what a difference it would have made if we had had collectively, and it has to be collective, the kind of consciousness as a movement to really stop that polarization, to stop the us-them stuff. Look at ourselves and try to find what unites us. Right. And I think, you know, it's, uh, we can't be too hard on ourselves because there were many achievements, of course, during that time. Yes. But the, the central thing is that we're learning. If our learning continues, then we reach these breakthroughs. And I think that you know, the polarization comes from, in part, having a consciousness that gets riveted by the problem. Mm. We get PhDs in the problem. We argue about you know, the nature of the problem and how to tackle the problem. And I call it the snake eyes entropy of the problem. <laughs> it sucks you into that entropic zone where then nothing really happens. And I think the consciousness that's evolving says we have a moral responsibility because it's a moral universe to look at injustice, to see and understand it. Not, it is not spiritual at all to turn your eyes away from the suffering of the world. No, no, no. But here's the difference. You look at the world, you look at the world through the heart, and you feel that suffering, and you know intellectually some of the root causes of that suffering, but you put your energy into the solution. You put your energy into the inspired intuitions that congregate in, in ways together that build that sense of momentum, that we are, in fact, moving towards something that is new and different and transformational and healing. That word healing is so important. I'm glad you used it earlier. Because the root of the word healing means to make whole. Mm -hmm. so we're, we're driving towards wholeness. When we're in that modality of experiencing wholeness, of our wholeness with all the forms of humanity, then... And we begin to experience that oneness that you're speaking of. And you know, oneness is, can be just dropped as a casual phrase, but we have to use it as a mystic would use it. You see, here's again the, the beauty of the work that takes you in the activist and the mystic. The mystic tastes. The mystic is, not, is about tasting, it's about experiencing, not about intellectual concepts. You can have the intellectual concept of oneness, but unless you taste it, unless you experience it, and that requires 
a lot of inner work of letting go and going towards source, when you taste that oneness and experience it, then it's like a drop that begins to, to spread. It's like that force of love that Mayor Baba talks about beautifully so. It's the same thing. The experience of love, he says, can never be coerced. You can't force me to love you. So it's the force that connects us, that can never be forced, can never be pushed upon us. But because it cannot be pushed upon us, it will grow freely from one heart to another in the transformation of planet Earth. But we must experience it. And we experience it by doing that inner work that allows the spontaneity to grow. Another important concept of awareness is creative and spontaneous. Thinking over intellectualizing, all those things are rehearsed. They're just passing on dead dead concepts, if you like. Yes, yes. We need to take a commercial break. But guys, stick around because there's lots more coming up. I'd love to continue exploring this with our guest, James O.D. So stick around. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.bethgreen.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community. The Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The inner revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi, welcome back to Inside Out, and we today are interviewing James O'Dea, who has written a book called Conscious Activist, and we're sharing, um, you know, some really important shift around the activist movement that, that's, uh, that's actually happening today. This is not just theory, right, James? This is, we're seeing it. We're, we're seeing people becoming more conscious. That's why we love to give these little snippets of news that it's, it's coming everywhere. And I, I had a, a spiritual awakening when I was in my 30s, and I was never the same. 
you know, the the person who was a dedicated social activist who, you know, I would throw myself in front of a, you know, a moving uh, truck, you know, uh, then got completely tuned into uh, spiritual, the spiritual, and had that same kind of one focused dedication. And but what was the most important thing I think is that connected both of them is that it really came out of a feeling of. I feel your pain. I mean, I didn't become a social activist for nothing. I think I, I did it because I couldn't stand the pain that I was feeling in the world. And that is really what drove my spirituality too. And what you're talking about is, you know, feeling the oneness and coming from the heart. I think inside all of us, whether we think of ourselves as mystics or not, or even we're aware of spirituality, there's something intrinsic to the human being that we do feel each other's pain because, as you said earlier, oneness isn't just a phrase. I mean, this is a reality. And I think that some of our polarization in the movement came from the fact that we were feeling so much pain and didn't know what to do about it except yell and scream and find someone to blame. It's kind of like we were children in that respect. And so that that pain, if if we could as adults allow ourselves to go back and feel what we felt as children, not that I'm, you know, making children into, you know, God's gift, you know, children have to grow up too, but but there is that natural affinity and compassion that we have when we're kids that we lose through a whole bunch of, uh, lots of reasons. And um, th- this is also where the healing becomes so important because people have been so traumatized that some people just can't get past it. And, and in your book, you talk about some amazing people with the amazing capacity to forgive and love again and they have that capacity to heal but not everybody can do that spontaneously can they no I, I think it's it's a special gift of the spirit and one of those elements that we're referring to as evolutionary where that mystic the mystic knows about suffering because the mystic has to go through the pain, the loss, the deprivation for God, for longing, for wholeness, you know, just stripping away all the artificial stuff, the fake stuff, the lies, the conceit, the ego attachment to get to the core. But the mystic has a special, special gift to give the activist because the mystic knows that the bitter and the sweet are one. They may start off as two separate things, but they become one force. So the suffering and the celebration start to unite. There's that inner core of the triumph of the spirit. And it's highest form, it's bliss. But it's the sweet and the bitter coming together. And even in the activist work I did in Amnesty International, there was always that freeing of the prisoner, the stopping of the torture, the things that gave you tremendous celebration of the power of the human being to transform terrible conditions. I tell the story of receiving a letter from a prison guard from a dungeon in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco whose conscience was hurting him. He told of, described the starvation and torture and death of so many prisoners 
And I testified in Congress about that dungeon. And a few yes. months after my testimony, the king of Morocco closed down that dungeon. And one of the prisoners who'd been there for 18 years came personally to Washington to thank us. Can you imagine the joy, the triumph, the sense of human possibilities that we can do this when we align our moral force? And so we don't fixate too much on the suffering. We have to experience it. It is part of the story. We must be in touch with the pain of the world. But equally, the sense of momentum in yes. consciousness of the triumph of the human spirit. And so much of what I write about is it is that triumph of the human spirit, whether it's former Nazis and Holocaust survivors or Hutu and Tutsi in Rwanda. My eyes are geared towards the triumph, the coming together, the healing, the powerful, powerful healing mm -hmm. that can be possible. And I think it's just the beginning is consciousness rising, that we see this healing take hold, even in the midst of the degradation of this fundamentalist horror in different parts of the world. That's a, that's a death knell in consciousness. That's the end of a story. And the, the largest story is what is coming together. So often our attention in the media rivets on the dying story rather than on the birthing story, the coming mm -hmm. together story. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, don't, I think sometimes people don't see it. They don't know what to look for. Uh, you know, it's not just like we try to give some little news at the beginning of our show every week. It's not just about, wow, this is cool. It's about this is showing an increase in consciousness. This is showing that we are changing from the inside. It's not just that we're protesting something that's bad, but that we are having new courage to stand up and and that mutual support and that the internet and the the sense of the one world and uh, that's really supporting people to to you know, to stand up to things that they never thought they could do all by themselves. So, James, uh, James E., would you give out the phone number and uh, so that people can call? Yes. Uh, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, please call us at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Thank you. You know, I'd like to go back to something you were just talking about, James, which is the prison guard, the prison guard, because, you know, it's one thing to be the quote, the victim and talk about the abuses. But what we we forgot in the old days and what we are getting to realize now as we're be beginning to realize our oneness, that everybody suffers, that there are no privileged people who don't suffer when there is oppression. I would, I would add that, that the perpetrator and the victim are one. They're both yes. suffering. They're both suffering. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's very true. There is the wound in the perpetrator yes. that gets transmitted. And there's the wound in the victim. Unless the victim heals, that wound that the victim carries around starts to become the basis for a new level of perpetration. And so you have this 
tango between the two. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. And as the, the perpetrator needs support, the perpetrator needs support to be able to face what he or she is doing or, and has done and be able to get beyond uh, morality in the old sense of shame and blame and punishment to, to acknowledge the pain that they felt when they were doing it. It's like the, the, the abusive parent who beats the child. And I see we have a caller, Helen from Fallbrook. Hello. Hi, Thank you Helen. for being on the show, Mr. O.D., and I would like to ask you how you handle the amazing psychic pain that you have to be in contact with all the time as a spiritual activist, a conscious activist. Well, thank you, yes. In my own case, you know, I worked for 10 years with Amnesty International, and I the, the level of daily attention to torture, murder, mayhem did fry me. I mean, I, because there was that facing the problem and the problem never seemed to go away. And it was really with the help of Gene Houston who told me, you know, begin to explore human possibilities. Mm. And that even though there were many triumphs in amnesty, you're right, that level of intensity of suffering and pain was extreme. And I moved on from there to really start this work on social healing, of bringing together former victims and perpetrators, Israelis and Palestinians and Hutu and Tutsis and Catholics and Protestants. And that's what, where the bomb was more intense, of really seeing how people can come together how they can break through. You know, I talk about former Nazi and Holocaust survivor coming together, and the Nazi says, you know, you're in the dungeon. My grandchildren are the grandchildren of a Nazi, and so forth. And along comes this former daughter of Holocaust survivors and throws a bridge across the abyss for me to walk upon. Look at that image. Yeah. Throwing a bridge across the abyss. Doesn't that quicken your soul? Doesn't it fill you with a sense of intuitive possibilities? That we can throw these bridges across the divide, across the bridge, abyss. If we stay in the polarization, then the pain becomes so acute that there is a balm, there is a blessing, there is a healing, and there is forgiveness. Thank you for your question. Well, and I want to say one more thing is thank you for your work because I know the price you pay. <laughs> thank you. That's Thanks. important to me. Thanks, Helen. You know, one, one of the things that what you're doing requires is excruciating self-honesty, doesn't it? Yes, it, re- it requires an expanding journey with truth so that you, you you move away from that dualistic consciousness into the non-dual where you experience the connection. And, and it requires a different analysis of humility. You know, I, I love the sense that some people have begun to talk about humility 
is not just hiding your light. No. Standing in that truth that you're referring to. Standing in the truth, having the humility and the courage to be who you are so that you give voice to the essential message of reconciliation and forgiveness that is at the core of the evolutionary process. As Desmond Tutu says, there can be no future without forgiveness. So it takes humility to be able to say, I believe in the transformation of the world and I will represent it. Because it's not hiding. It's the humility that stands in its own courage and conviction. Well, don't you think that um, that humility is also connected to feeling a part of the oneness? That you feel, when you feel like you're a part of the divine plan... (laughs) or that you are being moved by forces greater than yourself, then even taking that stand of courage, there's no pride in that. It's just what you do. It's because that's who you are, and because that's the part that you're being asked to play. We had, a couple of years ago, we had a day with the Masters that um, I, um, you know, I I hear this inner voice, and I've been trained by... The, these characters that what we call the masters. It doesn't really make any difference. But anyway, they said, you are a small part of a vast evolution, but play your part well. And so it's that taking on, you know, the, the humility of being able to take on whatever my job is, whether it's cleaning out the toilets, which is part of the work I do as a healer is cleaning out the cesspools of our minds, right? <laughs> or, you know, becoming a very important person traveling around the planet. It really doesn't make any difference. It's like we are willing to do our part and to do it well. And you certainly have been doing that. <laughs> well, I've certainly had great mentors and guides, both on the spiritual level and on the activist level. And and these, these guides and the guidance that come to us, it can come sometimes in the smallest ways. You know, we yes. sometimes delay things because we're waiting for the big moment, <laughs> you know, the big opportunity, <laughs> the time when my, really, my destiny card will be in. <laughs> and, uh, and we miss those small moments. <laughs> I remember <laughs> being with a sadhu in India, being with the senior tutor of the Dalai Lama. And, you know, when I met the senior tutor of the Dalai Lama, crossing over the threshold into the house where he lived, I wanted to both laugh and cry at the same time. It was that combination of the bitter and the sweet. And, you know, he said to me, serve all beings without distinction. Yes. There it is. Can we really do that? Can we take out, you know, who should be served and who should not? Who's in my club and who's not? Yes. Serve all beings without distinction. That means you cannot serve them without love and compassion. 
So it really means serve all beings without distinction. It means for the activist and the mystic. It means be one with all. No, don't judge. You're so right when you refer to punishment as part of the dying paradigm. Yes. It's, we, it's not about punishment. It's about understanding and healing yeah. that yes. will generate that, that force that will really serve all. And, you know, I, I love the way Mother Teresa serves when she said, you know, she saw the face of her beloved Jesus in every human being. I was in Beirut when she came to Beirut during the war, Mm. and they organized a ceasefire, and she went into West Beirut and brought out orphans who had been trapped in an orphanage that had been bombed, and and there were no staff left. It was a horror, horror scene. And as she's at the checkpoint with the Israelis, she's holding one of the orphan infants, who is peeing all over her clothes. And it's just an image I'll never forget Mm. of Mother Teresa going into the depths of war to bring the orphans out. That is beautiful. kind of service that we need, always knowing that wherever we turn, there is the face of our teacher, Mm-hmm. And for the mystic, that just gets deeper and deeper into that story of wherever we turn, there's only the one human, there's only the one force in creation. Mayor Baba talks about the saints and the so-called sinners, but the so-called sinners are simply learning in their own way. We all have to learn how to be deeper human beings. We certainly do, and we need to go to commercial break, but stick around because we're not done with James O.D. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.bethgreen.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community. The Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The inner revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network.
You're tuned in to Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Now, back to Inside Out. Welcome back to Inside Out. Well, oh my goodness, the time has been fleeing. Uh, James E., my James, uh, was talking about, you know, some guidance that our uh, Mr. O'Day would have for our, O.D., would have for our uh, incipient interrevolutionaries. But I would like him to give us his website and tell us how to get his book. And that's part of, you know, where a lot of guidance comes from. Yes, it's jamesod.com. That's jamesodea.com. And The Conscious Activist is available from booksellers everywhere, from Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, all the online sites. And it's a great book to use for study groups, the network of uh, spiritual progressives have been using it, some of their chapters, as a book circle exercise. That's wonderful. I uh, certainly encourage everyone to take a look at this book. And, uh, and I think you'll feel your hearts when you read it, because in a way, uh, James' story is our story. I, you know, I think we are all one, and we all... Whether we've beaten, been beaten up emotionally or spiritually or physically, you know, we're all pretty beat up. And, <laughs> and to be inspired and to feel the support of others who are doing the same work in a different face, in a different phase, it's very strengthening for all of us. It gives us all tremendous amount of support. I think that uh, going back to your question, Jamesy, also you know, a different take on it is that uh, many people feel like, oh, I can't do that. You know, I'm not capable of loving everybody and I get angry and uh, I have these moments or I'm still having resentment and therefore I can't do anything. You know, I should go back to therapy for 400 years or I should just give mm. up or, you know, what, what do you say to people who don't see themselves as being able to forgive or walk through these pains? Well, it goes back to that point I was making that, you know, we can discount the small. And when you think about it and you contemplate that everything is connected, so whether the gesture is small or great, it's part of that network of connections. And you should never discount the smallest gesture you know, I begin another book that I've written called Cultivating Peace, Becoming a 21st Century Peace Ambassador. The first chapter is about smiling. Mm-hmm. And I did that deliberately <laughs> because even a smile is a gesture of peace. Smile to somebody who may look alienated. Smile to somebody you wouldn't normally look at or connect with. We know the science behind the smile is very potent. Smiles are very, very potent. It's like the heart, light, the neural system of the brain mirroring out to other people. It's safe. There's no need for fear 
or flight. So you see what I'm saying? Oh, yes. Any of us can go into this form of guidance that says, start if you're concerned with your ability. Start with any small gesture and let those build, let those connections. Have a conversation with somebody you wouldn't normally have a conversation with. Mm-hmm. And it's building that force of connectivity. You'll find it's waiting for you. It's, it's, it's the universe waiting to serve you in so many ways. And that's the other part of our journey, isn't it? That we think of ourselves as separate, as disconnected. You know, it's part of the whole evolutionary process for us to begin to lose that sense of separateness. So when we make efforts to connect, the universe just rises up with more energy for us. That is so true. The universe conspires to help us to heal, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, uh, uh, James E., is there anything you would like to ask James at this point? Uh, Yes. Um, I find one of the most difficult things for me to do is to stay in the oneness with somebody who's attacking me verbally. Uh, It's hard not to get triggered. It's hard to keep affirming, we are one, we are one, we are one. Uh, I I wind up doing uh, processes to heal my reactivity. Uh, But in the moment, I tend to get, uh, I I, I give much of the same back, (laughs) so to speak. And so I'm wondering if... I talk about healing reactivity in The Conscious Activist. Mm -hmm. There's also a chapter in the book, Cultivating Peace, where I say... Learn to watch energy. So what you become, the new peacemaker is asked to become an energy master. Look at how this other person is processing their energy. And when you get into that observational mode, you learn the different styles that we have. You know whether people are blocking energy, bouncing it back. So that's one style, isn't it, that the person you're speaking to is blocking any energy coming from you because they're defensive and they're bouncing it back. Mm -hmm. Or there's another style of energy processing where they're always taking it personally and going, (laughs) nurturing the place of the wound in themselves. They're the sponge, they're soaking it all in. No matter what you say, that sponge gets heavier and wetter. (laughs) Oh, God, that is so so, true. Yeah, we know both sides. By learning to notice the energy style, you can begin to develop a strategy for that style. As I said, I talk about it in a whole chapter in my book, Cultivating Peace. That's a But it's a great idea. question, you know, because if we just mirror the style that's given to us, then all we do is send back at greater velocity the energy that was sent <laughs> towards us. Yes, and don't you think that part, I, I mean, this is my experience, part of the problem is that we are so one that when you're angry at me, I, I feel anger. 
it may not even be mine. It could have started out being yours, and then suddenly I'm all wrapped up in the same anger that you're wrapped up in. <laughs> you know, uh, beyond the, the issue of my own ego's defensiveness, there's just like we feel each other's feelings so much in that going into that place of being able to differentiate and going into that object of a neutral place, that's quite a challenge. Well, Yes, it oh. is, but, you know, I mean, we've, we've learned about this from neuroscience, what they call mirror neurons, that you, do, you mirror what is being reflected to you. So you, you're in processing the other person's anger as if it's your own. Yeah. And so, but when you become aware of this, you develop a capacity that we call cultivating the witness. The witness yes. is not the observer standing apart from. The witness participates and mirrors back something empathic. Once you know the science of this, there are really great questions. In the whole field of nonviolent communication you know, I mastered this science because it says to the person who's coming and projecting, mirroring to you anger or resentment, you ask them a question, what do you need me to understand? Mm. You're changing oh, yeah. Dynamic. You know, Marshall well, Rosenberg, this... who died recently, Yeah the founder of nonviolent communication, was in the West Bank in the home of a Hamas activist who came in and he said, young man, angry, Rachel, said to his family, what are you doing with that American Jew here in our house? Get him out of here. They're the problem. And Marshall said, do you need me to understand the relationship between being an American and your problem. Yes, I do. Beautiful, beautiful. dialogue had begun. I have to interrupt (laughs) you, not because I want to, but because we are out of time. So just hang in there a little bit longer, James. And Jamesy, would you uh, talk a little bit about what's coming up? Yes, coming up next week, Dare to Heal, It's a Revolutionary Act. We've all, we've all had traumas and negative programming that damaged us in one or many ways. When we heal, we hope everyone will support us, but that's not always the case. If you're the only sober member of an alcoholic family, your sobriety will force others to look at their own drinking. If you stop conforming to painful and foolish conventions, such as wearing high heels, luckily I don't do that, friends will have to look at what they're doing and why. If you grow up in a spiritual community, peers might feel threatened when you question sacred cows. If you change to a healthier diet, then the others have to justify having that last cupcake. Cupcake. So have you dared to heal and change even in the face of disapproval or worse? Dare to heal enough to take unpopular stands. Dare to heal enough to stand up to your own opinions and change them when you're wrong. So healing can be an ev- a revolutionary act, threatening your self-image, relationships, or sense of safety. Healing is a part of the inner revolution, so join us and call in to share. And now a final word from Beth. Well, thank you, James. Um, you know, we we have started having guests just in the last two weeks, and uh, but we also want to give you more time. So our next two 
uh, Inside Out, the Inner Revolutions are going to be on topics and you're going to be able to come back and make a lot of calls and talk to us again. And hopefully we'll move forward together and then we have some other incredible guests. But I would like to thank James O'Dee for coming and, you know, his sincerity, uh, his caring are so palpable and he leaves us with all kinds of uh, hope and compassion and I'd like to throw in one more thing which is let's forgive ourselves when we act like assholes I mean this is part <laughs> of our evolution isn't it <laughs> you know and you know let us not judge ourselves by our worst moments but keep looking at what just like uh, James was saying you know look at the small thing you just did how incredible it was and give yourself a pat on the back and get support and love for everything that you're doing right so I'd like to thank you so much, and uh, I wish you continued good work. I know you're going to keep helping our world. Thank you, Beth, and thank you, James, for thank a beautiful you. conversation. Wonderful. Thanks. Peace be with you. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Think outside the box and have a great week.